Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with health, performance, and how to elevate the human experience. I explore the latest tools, science, and technology with experts in various fields of human optimization. This is your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. All right, now, superhumans, we're going to switch things up a bit today. Before introducing my guest, I want to give a shout out to you guys for listening. This podcast has grown far beyond what I imagined, and I really appreciate all of you that take the time to listen and those who leave reviews on iTunes, of course. We picked up a five-star rating from PT29 who says, consistently high-quality guests and good interviews. Well, PT29, I really appreciate that because there's a lot of effort that goes into it, not just from me, but from the team behind the scenes that makes all of this really work. Let's get to my guest today. Tim Freak is a pioneering philosopher whose best-selling books, inspirational talks, and life-changing events have touched the hearts and minds of people worldwide, people like myself. I was introduced to Tim's work through a couple of books by very close mentors. And he is the author of 35 different books, which have been translated into 15 different languages, including a top six Amazon bestseller and the Daily Telegraph's book of the year. Tim is the creator of Univisualism, A Deeper Way of Living, and the founder of the International Community of Univisuals. What did we get into? As you guys know, and those who have followed me on social media know, I've been exploring the idea of consciousness and how to bring it about to more mainstream audience for a while now. Because often with that word comes a lot of woo, and Tim is anything but woo. So today, we explored the idea of consciousness through awareness. We looked into not just individualism, but the idea of being an eclectic, why society is going through a soul crisis, and how to find purpose in the 21st century. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash freak, that's F-R-E- K-E. And if we're going to have any discussion on awareness, it's nice to have our brains running at full speed, right? For optimal cognitive function, especially when I'm traveling, one of my favorite tools is blue canatine. Its delivery format is a buckle trochee, it dyes your tongue blue, and it leaves you with this state of what I'll call limitlessness for up to three hours after implementation. No hard come down, just really pure enjoyment, focus, and yes, awareness. Head on over to Troscriptions.com to get yours and enjoy my discussion with Timothy Freak. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. This, I told you before, look, this is a conversation that I've wanted to have for such a long time. And because your books have had a profound impact on how I view this thing called life. But as I'm listening to the books, and I do recommend that I love the audiobooks. Uh, right. If 
as I'm listening and the question that comes to mind, the first question that comes to mind is how did you get into the idea of, or just the area of philosophy? Well, I think the, the, I, I, the, the, the real answer to that, Boomer, I don't want to sound really say something dumb, but the real answer is because I, I found myself in this incredibly puzzling predicament mm. as a child that I was alive. And for whatever reason, I never was able to take it for granted. Everyone else seemed to be, especially the grown-ups, seemed to be going around like this, as if they didn't notice they were alive. They certainly didn't want to think about the fact that they were going to die, um, or really question what the hell the purpose of it all was. Yeah. And, and, and I felt those questions very, very strongly all my life. So, and for me, it's like, you know, I am a professional philosopher and I studied philosophy, but, but really, I'm a curious human being. That's what I am. And, and there is a part of me that doesn't understand why everyone doesn't walk around the whole time going, what the hell? Because I kind of do. Um, and I, I, so I, the real motivation behind it is simply how, that life is a breathtaking mystery. And the more I find out about it, the more I understand, the more mysterious it becomes. It's almost like, because I'm going on this journey and I think you obviously have been doing this your whole life, but I'm going on this journey and it feels like a little like the Dunning-Kruger effect where I started and I thought I knew what life was and now I'm on a little bit further down the road and I realize I have no clue. Um, and I still am unpeeling the layers of the onion. When you started studying philosophy and this concept or the trying to answer the question of the purpose, the meaning of life, what avenues did you go down? I, I think you've, I've heard that there was some altered states of consciousness involved. And I would love to hear more about those as well. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely key because what actually happened for me was when quite young, about 12 years old, was that whilst just sitting on a hill in this tiny, small little town I grew up in in the southwest of England, sitting with these questions um, while taking my dog out for a walk, something happened and I'd say now that it was the first time I experienced a shift what I call being deep awake and I had never experienced it before as far as I knew and it it was a and I didn't know what it was but something profound happened so right from the start was this recognition that what I'm looking for isn't just a state it isn't a collection of words what I'm looking for is an actual shift in my experience. Mm-hmm. And what came from that, that, that shift was this profound sense of relief, a sense that I was connected to everything, and this enormous love. And, and from that, this kind of confidence that despite all of the horrors that I could see going on in the world and, and my fears and all the rest of it, that there was, there was something very good here. Mm-hmm. And so the philosophy in an organized sense, became about trying to understand how that could be true. And it still is. How can that be true? Is that just an illusion? Is that just wishful thinking? Is that just endorphins going through my... Or is it something significant? And my own conclusion very soon was, when it happened again and again over the years, was it really significant? Because in those times, everything doesn't seem less real. It feels much more real. There's a real profound sense of I'm more awake. Mm -hmm. I see more. And when I see more, there's this confidence in existence. So what I've been doing is trying to 
understand that. And the, and the lines of philosophy that led me down was to explore all of the spiritual traditions I could lay my hands on to see how they, they'd understood this state. I soon realized that the people who, 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 who had had similar experiences were the Sufis or the Zen teachers or you know, all of these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to hang out with those people. I wanted to study with those people. I wanted to read those people. And I wanted to experience it again via their techniques and to see what they, whether they worked or how I could do it. And, the, and the, what I found was it was everywhere. And including psychedelics, anything, anything that could go, how can I do that again? Um, and the two, the, so the experiential and the philosophical for me have always been like that. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the same thing. They, 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 the deeper my understanding, the deeper my experience, the deeper my experience, the, the, the more I have to understand. Wow. Where do I go from there? Um, of the experiential, the different traditions, ancient traditions that you've gone down, which of those have had particular influences on your thinking or are they all universally the same in terms of feeding into how you thought about it? Well, my first, my first thing was to follow a thread which Aldous Huxley had developed. He was yeah. my route into it in his classic book, The Perennial Philosophy, which was him going, look, there's something perennial here. Since I realized much later when I was writing my books on Gnosticism that he'd actually taken that name, I think Leibniz had used it centuries before him, and, in, and way back in the ancient world, the Greek philosophers had used it, this idea that there was a, a perennial something which people were getting. So that was a profound insight. So it's feeling of, look, whether you're in a Taoist in 5th century BC China, or you're an Advaitic philosopher or in India, or you're a Gnostic Christian, or whatever, there's something the same here. And the thing which I think is the same is the experience they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Or it, when I say it's the same, it's essentially the same. I think the way you think about the experience will color the experience. So if you're thinking in a, in a deistic term, like I did as a little boy, you're more likely to go, oh, I've experienced God. If you're a Taoist, you're more likely to go, oh, I'm, I'm in the Tao. But there's something the same. There's a sense of oneness, mm-hmm. connectedness, and profound compassion as, because, that comes from the connectedness, and, and a feeling of meaning, that there's significance to the human journey and goodness mm-hmm. uh, despite everything that there is. And, and so my first thought was that most of my early books are about the different traditions and they've all touched me in different ways. That's the honest truth. What's unique about this time we live in? And it, and it blows me away because it's happened in my lifetime. I mean, I grew, I grew up in a, in a world which was more eclectic spiritually than it ever happened in history. So I could go down to my bookshop and, as a teenager, and buy the Dharmapada. I could buy the Gospel of Thomas. I could get, read the Upanishads. It was like it was all there waiting for. Me. Yeah. Uh, now, of course, I just go out on my phone. I can get them now, <laughs> isn't it? Like, you can get the audio book too. It's just like yeah, it's just like woof, and and so that's that's created a unique situation for us, which is one of for fact we can we can we can actually see not only can we be eclectic in the sense that we can choose the bits that work for us. We can see where they overlap. We, we're in a position like no other. And, and for me, when I was in my teens and 20s, as this was coming through, it was still quite a new thing. And there was a sense of, oh, it's the spiritual supermarket. You shouldn't be an eclectic. The pressure I felt from, my, from the teachers, I was, you should choose. Are you a Sufi? Are you a you know, Buddhist? What are you going to be? Because otherwise you'll just flitter around on the surface. But I never could. And I'm so pleased because 
what I feel was is the, the, the calling of our time is to synthesize that into a new philosophy. So they all touch me and they're all different. It's like I love, you know, the love and forgiveness at the heart of Christianity is, <laughs> is powerful. I love the transcendence of Buddhism. I love the earthiness of shamanism and that sense of connectedness with the earth. I love the, the devotional aspects of the Sufis, the beloved, seeing the universe as something you're in love with. I love that kind of naturalism and flow you get in Taoism. They've all got, it's all like, and, and my own feeling is they're all my tradition because I'm a human being. I don't have to be Chinese or Islamic or I'm a human being. They were human beings like me. Nearly all of them actually are eclectics. That's why we remember them because mm-hmm. they create something new. And that's always by combining things from the past. So each, each of these groups I've just mentioned, with, with the explosion where they happened that we remember is a, is a time of eclecticism where something new is born from old things. And, and so I feel very much like well, there's one tradition. I'm part of that. Uh, they're my people and I love them all. And I, want to, I don't want to repeat what they did by just doing the same. I want to repeat the essence of what they did mm-hmm. by moving us on into the next phase. This is such a, that term eclectic is, is such a refreshing term because I think many, all of us have struggled with some sort of element of identity, right? And you want to assign a label to everything. And sometimes it's okay to have the melting pot rather than the label. I love that. Yeah. yeah. That's the only creativity. I think always entails that, doesn't it? It entails the willingness to break down the old structures that are formed and then combine things in new ways and respond to the new situation. There was a term you used earlier, and it's the title of one of your books, but I I just want to do a little comparing and contrasting. The term deep awake versus consciousness. And one of the reasons why I haven't covered this too much in detail on podcasts before is because that term consciousness comes with a lot of, um, of baggage because of some people that have represented it before. Can we just go through the differences between the two terms and how you would define them if there are different at all? Yeah, no, well, the the word consciousness, well, everything around spirituality comes with baggage. Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason, I mean, obviously, you could say everything comes with baggage, really, but the, 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 negative, the negative stuff around spirituality, I think, comes because we, there's been an explosion of our scientific understanding of the world, which is immense. Hence, we can talk in different countries right now. You know, isn't that phenomenal? It's amazing. And yeah, the, our understanding in the last hundred years has just exploded exponentially. Spirituality hasn't. Mm-hmm. And so in one area of mainstream, the mainstream intellectual culture, it has died on its feet and it's being held only by pre-rational religions, which anyone who's developed a sense of rationality, just simply meaning you have a good reason for what you believe, is not going to look at pre-rational religions and go, that's not a good reason. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a good reason. Just as written in an old book, that is not a good reason. So... There's, it's got a bad press. And then what's come in, in its wake has been a kind of melting pot of things trying to address that. And it hasn't really come of age yet. And part of what I'm trying to do is develop a rational spirituality, something which you can find. Oh, look, there's re- the, the human beings throughout history have really been fascinated by. You know, science came from people 
mm-hmm. who were exploring esoterica. That it came the alchemists, these people, these were deeply inquisitive, awake people. So I want to rescue it, really, and reform it. Mm-hmm. Words like consciousness depends what where you approach it. You approach it in a scientific view, you get one meaning. If you mean spirituality, it can mean just about anything. When I talk about deep, deep awake and, and consciousness, I mean simply what I'm aware of, mm-hmm. what I'm conscious of, what state I'm in. So when I'm asleep, I'm in the state of being asleep. When I'm dreaming, I'm in the state of dreaming. When I'm awake, I'm in the state of waking. But the waking state is various as well, isn't it? You know, I could be tired and irritable. I can be happy. I can be all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And what this awakening is about, for a, this double awakening, it's like you're awake and then you become deep awake, is you just see deeper into things. And it, it's not, for me, it's not like a switch where there's just one state. It's actually a whole spectrum of things which you become conscious of. Mm-hmm. And when it happens dramatically, you really notice it. And, and anything can do it. You know, it's, it, you, often it's so tra- traumatic. I've just literally come back from a funeral mm-hmm. and around death, people can wake up quite a bit facing your own death, facing the death of others. Suddenly you're like, whoa, hang on a second, I'm alive. What is this? And other states can open up. But not, you know, also, you know, giving birth, falling in love, just reading a book, sun on your back, for no reason at all. It, but suddenly you go from this narrowness where you're kind of half alive, really, a semi-conscious state, and you just, that's the best description of it I can give, actually, is this. <laughs> it's, for me, it's like this. Rem- oh. So it's removing of the tunnel, so to speak, right? Yeah. So this tunnel vision, which is like, I just see this, and it's and it's purely where you're putting your attention. Mm-hmm. So your attention is, and and you know, we we have to pay attention to awful lot just to survive. So it's no surprise, and that's not wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not bad. It's not like don't feel the future and all that stuff. It's like no, of course you must think of the future. But also, it's really great to know you can take your awareness and sink it into the depths of your own being and the depths of life. And there's an unexpected, uh, there's an unexpected gift waiting for us when we do that. And suddenly it's like, whoa, I'm a, I really feel alive. Mm-hmm. I really feel awake. Um, and I have an appreciation of life that I was missing before. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's why I want the, the, the experiential side of what I do is to help people have that experience for themselves and feel the love. I mean, the love is the thing which really marks it out for me, this profound sense of connectedness. And it's the, if I'm really, you know, if I really, you know, I'm a philosopher, I talk about meaning, purpose, but really the only time I actually feel this profound sense of purpose and meaning and is, is, in that, is when I go deeply into that state. When that love is there, everything's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not. It's just more of a struggle. Before we go into some of this experiential and maybe perhaps how somebody would start to dive into this themselves, you talked a little bit earlier about the pre-rational religion versus this sort of mishmash of stuff that's trying to form right now. Uh, for lack of a better term, I know mishmash is not necessarily a technical term, but <laughs> uh, just uh, it, would you... Is that the soul crisis that we're going through right now? And if if it's not, I would love to just define the soul crisis because I think that will resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, I, what I I started 
my latest book, Soul Story, with this idea that we were in a soul crisis. And, and, and I think what, what I mean by that is that this exponential growth in our understanding of physics, science generally, but, but physics particularly, has given us the modern world, and, and, the, and, and, and it's amazing. And our understanding is just enormous. I mean, it's just incredible, the power and consistency. It's loads of problems, of course, but it's quite brilliant. So I'm in, I'm in awe of these people. And, and, and immensely grateful to them. But there's been a price, and that's because science is, is associated, in my view, wrongly with a philosophy. And often people, scientists themselves, don't even know that there's a philosophy there. They think it's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. But it's actually a philosophy, and I think it's a flawed philosophy. And it leads to this view that really, if you're intellectually um, up to it, if you're, you know, you're not going to, you're, you're, if you're kind of, I always, it's almost like a macho thing. If you're macho enough to face reality, the truth is uh, you're living on a small piece of rock in the middle of nowhere, um, uh, and you, you're a clever monkey. You're going to be here for a few decades, and then you're gone, and that's it. Yeah. So in the, that's an incredibly nihilistic view. <laughs> you basically just took my view from like six months ago and brought it into this conversation. But. Yeah, and and it comes at the moment with this sense that anyone who's not completely woo woo believes that. Mm-hmm. Now that is going to set us into a crisis, and and it does because it, what it's done is it's taken uh, the whole of our culture's history and cut us off from it, and it's cut us off from experience. Now the reason that I don't go with that primarily is that I have, through whatever reason, spent my life exploring experiences which that can't explain. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I don't like it. It's, well, I don't like it, actually, but it's not that. It's that it doesn't work. It, it's not addressing things. And one of the things it, it does is, is the, probably the centerpiece of it, is it's reductionist. Mm-hmm. So that started with science two, three hundred years ago, and it hasn't still really thrown it off in the way people think. Although, in, actually, in terms of its own theories, it has thrown it off. But, and by reductionism, it just means you can explore, explain the greater by t- reducing it to the lesser. So, I don't really love my life. Well, I think I love my wife, but really it's chemicals in my body. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I think I'm thinking these thoughts, but it's just neurons in my, my brain. That's all it is. Where everything comes down eventually to quantum particles. Or, and there's a, as a, you know, even if you go right into it, everything's determined because it's all cause and effect. And... People like Einstein thought past was future was already fixed. So why are we bothering having this conversation? Because it's all fixed and a horrendous view of what existence is. Yeah. And I think just wrong, just wrong. So the soul crisis comes from that, and and literally I call it a soul crisis. I use the word because it's provocative, because you know does the soul exist and all of that. The word soul comes from a Germanic root, it means exactly the same as the Greek word psyche, psyche. You're experiencing the soul right now. Everyone is. Everyone is experiencing two things. The body, which is an experience of sensation, a sensory world, and the imagination, an imaginal world, which is the soul or the psyche. What this negative view of this of, of, that we've got at the moment does is it just goes oh that is just a kind of it's really just this that's it mm-hmm. 
but the, the whole the whole essence of what science has actually shown us itself through this incredible theory of evolution which we now have which is extraordinary is that the whole universe has evolved from hydrogen and helium to everything we now see to you and me having this experience of soul in these 14 billion years it's gone from a gas to this and it's, you, could, you couldn't possibly say, well, this is just really hydrogen. It's like, no, no, no. It's become this. And what it's become is a transmaterial experience of psyche. Mm -hmm. That's the latest thing. That's where the whole of these 14 billion years have gone, for, gone to. So we, we need to stop dismissing that as just a byproduct of biology and start recognizing it as the most important thing that's happened. And there's where spirituality can come back in in a new form, because it's a study of that realm. It's a study of you know how how big it is out there, what its structure is, what its its geography is, if you like. We can actually draw on those traditions, put them in a. We need to understand them in a new way, but we don't need to dismiss them. And the problem is, it, all of the meaning is in the psyche, and and you can get that. I love to try this because I love this because it always works for me. If you, if you just think about the sounds I'm making, there is just a, you know, it's, there is a monkey making sounds. That's all you've got. It's like, it's like a hoo-hoo-hoo. But the sounds are conveying meaning to you. But there's no meaning in the sounds. They're sounds. The meaning is all in the psyche. So there's an extra level of information above the sound, which is the meaning that I'm conveying. And that has no physical you can't find it in the world. It's not in the world. It's in the psyche. So if you reduce everything to, to just the lowest common de denominator, to matter, you will destroy the meaning of existence. Mm -hmm. Because the meaning of existence is on the highest levels of emergence, not the lowest. And that's what we've done. We've reduced these high levels, which are full of meaning, to the lower levels, and then we're wandering around thinking, oh, we live in a meaningless universe. There's no point to anything. I'm just going to live. I'm going to die. What's the point? And actually, I don't think it's like that at all. And if we can see that, then we can enter a new phase of culture. And individually, of course, as well. So if I'm going to extrapolate a couple of takeaways here, it's not that the Ayn Rand objectivist view of the world is completely wrong. There's certainly, if I'm being eclectic, I can grab certain things from that and use them accordingly. But, and I'm stealing some of your language right now, where we are in the world is we have all these new scientific developments, but in order to get from here to there, meaning the next step, we need to re-embrace what this objectivist view, scientific, rational, whatever you want to call it, has tried to minimize. Do I have that right? And so that's sort of the emerging uh, area of evolution being spirituality. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it requires spirituality you know, to, to really shape up. Mm -hmm. It's become its own worst enemy at the moment. So... And I would love to double click just sort of on the, the, the own worst enemy thing. But in the interest of, of time here, because I know we're going to go down a few more wormholes. How do you begin exploring this? Because you at 12 had a very young awakening, for lack of a better term. 
Mine was much later, and I'm sure there's people listening to this right now that are kind of just really on the fringe of potentially doing this. If you were to guide somebody along the way, what would you tell them to do? Speaking of cognitive enhancement, one of the tools that's in my toolbox for really better sleep, which does lead to improved cognition, improved focus, is the V-Light. I have the Neuro Alpha at home and I use it every other day because that's what Dr. Lou Lim told me on the show. I found it very effective for relaxing in the evening. It allows me to get deeper meditations, but also better sleep. If you want yours, head over to vlight.com and use the code BOOMER. You'll get yourself a nice little discount. Back to the show. I think the center thing is, is to just be willing to be open to how, to the mystery. Mm-hmm. To, be, to, to be able to doubt but it's more than doubt. It's not just like doubting the way you see the world, although that is important always. I do it all the time because it frees you up. And, and it also makes, you know, if, if, if you can really doubt your beliefs and they stay strong, they're worth keeping. You know, so that's great. But it's deeper than that. It's mystery. It's like to really, to really sense, sense into how enormous what's happening to us is. And that's that kind of doing this. And if you go deep enough into that, then I think that's when these transformations can happen. And then there's, of course, there's techniques, and I teach techniques, and my books like Deep Awake has got lots of meditations you can do in. And, and, and what I do in my live events is I get people really entering into that through connecting with each other. So there's, there's lots of, you know, and that when you come together with other people to explore, it becomes a lot easier because we, excuse me, we support each other. So a shift is, is easier to happen. Mm-hmm. But, but also, you know, I think when you're ready, when you really want it, when you open yourself to it, it really can just, I've seen it happen so many times. So both ends of a barbell, so to speak, are quite overwhelming. Um, on the one hand, if we take the reductionist point of view, our life is meaningless and we have nothing to live for. And therefore, why am I even doing anything today? But on the other hand, if I look at we're all loving, caring, connected, that can be extremely overwhelming too when, you know, I get really bad customer service from the internet provider. How do we even, my inkling is to go to one end of the barbell, which is the loving, caring, connected part. But at the same time, it can be quite overwhelming to address that concept. How do you get there without, uh, I mean, maybe do you need substances or are there ways to ask yourself questions? <laughs> well, in, just in terms of the awakening, uh, I do think uh, many people do get their first jolt out, um, either with shamanic power plants or chemically. I didn't, mm-hmm. but I do, I do people who have. And my own feeling with it is it can be a helpful way to start and it can be helpful along the way, but I wouldn't rely on it or I wouldn't do it regularly because it's doing it from the outside. You want to be able to learn to do it from the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, but like everything, you know, I, I think, you know, none of these things are, are to be dismissed. They're all, they're all interesting. And then your other question, which was, um, how do you deal with a deep question, really deep question? And, and I think with that, it's about trying to cut through the naivety. And, and you know, I'm, it, you set it up, you can almost 
I can hear myself doing it. You know, when I say it's about love or deep connection, immediately there's this softy kind of thing which comes into mind because that's the way we associate it. And, and there is a form of that love and connection which is delightfully soft and, and you know, pink and fluffy and it's lovely. I'm all up for it. Mm-hmm. But love isn't that. Love, love is much more than that. Love is big and strong and tough. And, you know, I, like I said, I just went to a funeral. I buried both of my parents in the last six years. And what saw me through all of the suffering involved in that was love because it's so strong. And likewise, you know, dealing with the challenges, I, I think that's the, that, that, that what I'm looking for isn't how to be nice. When I can be nice, it's nice to be nice. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to be tough. And sometimes you have to go, that's not good enough for you. you know, I'm leaving your service <laughs> to your service provider or whatever it is. And there's things which people are doing in the world which are horrendous. You know, I, here's an example, I, I, maybe it makes sense to people, which I, I've started using because it's kind of close to my heart. My daughter is 19. And she's just left last year to go to university in Scotland, the other side of the country. Now, I am not there with her going, darling, just go out there and be loving and open and just like, no, sorry, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not because I know she needs to protect herself. But I also don't want her to become so protective that she can't open up. So what I want, and I think what she's got, as far as I can tell right now, is this ability to do this, if you like. Mm-hmm. So that the love isn't just, Dah! you know, it's not like a, you know, it's not that kind of, it's not just a hippie love. Mm-hmm. The love is a, is, a, is, a, is a thing you're developing inside yourself, which is a deep connection, even with those who you need to oppose or those who are, you need to protect yourself from or those that we need to lock up in prison or those who are doing bad things in the world. It's an underlying, it's something which holds all of that. And, and, and so we need to cut through the naivety of these words. Mm-hmm. And they're lovely because of their warmth, but we need to see them in, in, in deeper ways or use different words. And maybe for some people that, that word doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Given some of your recent experience, and actually this kind of came up in Soul Story, uh, suffering as a form of love or a great form of love, that I don't like suffering. I don't know many people that do. Um, <laughs> How should I grasp, again, there's going to be a lot of questions here that I'm just going to say, how should I even grasp this? Because like suffering is a great form of love. I don't like to suffer. And so how do I, am I just defining suffering in the traditional way? And that's the issue. I don't, I, I don't, um, I don't know that I, I mean, I kind of feel like I agree with you. I, I don't like suffering. Yeah. I don't like suffering myself. I don't like it for anyone else. And I don't like philosophies that try to, philosophize away suffering. Mm-hmm. And I find a lot of the traditional philosophies that go, you know, God's running everything. Why is all of the suffering? Oh, I don't know. He moves in mysterious ways. It's like, no, that is not good enough for everything in your life's plan. It's like, really? What, you know, it's like cancer for a two-year-old little girl. It's like, really? Mm-hmm. It's like, that was not good enough. So the philosophy that I'm, that works for me at the moment is this evolutionary philosophy that's in my book soul story and what that does with suffering is it goes look 
suffering is is a result of the fact that we're in an evolving universe so my body is biological and it has biological limits biological needs um, pain is built into the to that process and sometimes it will respond in ways that are really terrible for me and for other people and then the same with the psyche you know there's elements of psychological suffering and it's like it's not that those things are good it's more it, or that we should love them or or the love can hold them that's what i'm saying it's not that the love approves of them or goes okay they're all right it's like only the love can redeem them so it's big enough to go okay i can be with this suffering mm-hmm. in other and then from that you can help transform it so that's that's more how i would see it and the redeeming quality of this evolutionary story if you if you basically what i'm doing is i'm saying look the evolutionary story which science is telling which goes physics 10 billion years biology 4 billion years the end part is the evolution of psyche or soul mm-hmm. and that is what spirituality has always been concerned with and there's one narrative so this is the end point of evolution we're dealing with, which is why we're spending all our time there. You know, you and me, we've spent all our time in the psyche. Yeah. While we've been together, my body does this funny thing with its arms because it has to when I talk. But we've been hanging out somewhere where? Mm-hmm. It's nowhere. It's something else altogether. So that there is a redemptive quality to that because it can move towards the better. And that if we can tune into that evolutionary current, we can, in our own journey, move towards the good and collectively help the collective to move towards the good, which means loving the suffering, not, not approving of it, not, but actually bringing our care, our loving attention to it. And the fact that you and I are lucky enough to live in such a good world with such comforts and such a lack of suffering that the vast majority of human beings who are our ancestors had is because of other human beings who've done that. We've just gone, let's make this better. Mm-hmm. And they have, and, and we need to carry on doing that. Is the next step, and one of the things that you talk about is the idea of, well, I guess emergent spirituality, but on the evolutionary chain, is this next step really, or the goal, this idea of, I'm trying to put together the words here, like unrestrained love or just sort of universal love or what, what do you foresee as the next step really for everyone on this path? So I've coined a new word for it, which is an insult story because I, I felt I needed one, which is, I think, I think the process we're in right now, Boomer, is we're, we're evolving from individuals mm-hmm. into individuals. And what I mean by individual is an individual who's conscious that they're actually one with the universe. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is, there's been people like that throughout history, but I think we are moving collectively in that direction. And I think it's happening without us even seeing it. Um, the level of connectedness now is quite extraordinary. The level of compassion has never been so high. We, we, we think we're living in a terrible world, and of course, in some ways we are. But the level of connection is extraordinary, that people lots of people genuinely feel connected with other human beings they'll never ever meet on the other side of the planet who happen to be in a bad situation yeah. or, or, or something. People really care. This is unheard of in history. You know, most people hated their neighbours and that's all they knew. And, and this is a massive transformation. People, there's cross-species compassion on a massive scale. And it needs to be, but it's there. And these are all new phenomena. 
And I think what's underlying them is this growth in the sense of unity. And then what can come from that is this deeper, what you would traditionally be called a spiritual awakening, but you don't have to use that word, mm-hmm. awakening to oneness. It's when you go, oh, hang on, I am the universe arising as Tim. What else could I be? Literally, my body was made and carbon was made in the in stars. I mean, I'm, I am the universe. I've arisen from this 14 billion, 14 billion years of evolution has turned into me. Mm-hmm. Meeting 14 billion years of evolution that's turned into you. And we are, the, we are both individual, but we're also one with everything. Mm-hmm. And, and it's that, that changes things. Then the problems which you beautifully took us to with the whole love question, then becomes how the hell do you live that? How do you, are, how do you navigate the fact when you recognize I'm, I am one with, with everyone and everything, but I'm also a one, a someone? And I don't think there's any easy answers to that. I think that's what we've got to discover. But that's the growth of wisdom, mm-hmm. and it's a challenge. And, and we need to work it out individually, we need to work it out politically, we need to work it out in a million ways. And if, actually, every moment we're working it out, where we end and where the rest begins. But that's the transformation I think that's happening. And with it comes this incredible sense of meaning, mm-hmm. that you're in something significant. Your life matters. It really matters. And you have something to con- contribute by being you and by being you in this more expanded way you have something huge to contribute just by being alive can i play i'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here because i enjoy that role sometimes so when we when we start to break down the idea that we are just a mix of carbon nitrogen sulfur all of these atoms which have come about from this big bang and we are all part of the universe. (laughs) My ego is talking right now and saying, hey, I'm special, right? Uh, And how do I resolve that when, if I'm all part of the universe, then we're all equal. And, you know, growing up in a capitalist society like the United States, you kind of are taught to compete, right? how do I, how do I even deal with that? I'm trying to deal with it on the fly right now. <laughs> so I have this thing, which is in my, not my last book, but my book before that, Deep Away, and the mystery experience before that, where I developed this idea I call paralogical thinking, which is really both and rather than sort of monological either or thing. Mm-hmm. And I find this incredibly useful with everything because we tend to think it's one or the other. So usually when you, and opinions on anything, people go, oh, this is what it is. No, no, this is what it is. Whereas actually, both are saying something. Mm. And if you listen hard, you can go, oh, it's a bit, that's kind of true, and that's kind of true, and they fit together like this. And, and, and that's how I feel with, with these questions. We, we, we need to be able to see uh, both sides of whatever it is. And if we do that, um, we can come to a deeper understanding. I mean, it's... it's, it's it's kind of a statement of the obvious in a way. It's a bit like I'm looking at this computer screen mm-hmm. where I'm seeing you, but to know what it is, I need to go around the other side and see the back of it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, it, that, I, it's not just this, it's also that. And if we can do that with everything, uh, it doesn't resolve the, the tension. So it's not like some, you know, it doesn't mean, oh, everywhere's got to be in the middle. It just means, because sometimes it can be about moving your attention between the extremes. 
So these are saying something. You did it yourself earlier when you said, look, the Ayn Rand view is saying something. It really is. Or when I said, look, science, I'm in awe of it. How amazing it is. But we can keep that. It's amazing. We just need to add this to it if we want to, you know, take it forward. So when I get that I'm the universe, um, it, it means I have to start now looking at how I live that, that paradox out more deeply. Mm-hmm. That's the how does this come around to purpose? And like, because at 30, I faced this existential crisis and frankly, still kind of go back and forth with it sometimes that like, Hey, um, what am I here for? If we are the universe and we have this all knowing, what, what, how does that help us define purpose on a day-to-day basis? Well, I can say how it works for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, see if it's any use. I, the when I when I I need to talk about time. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, let's let's go into the time streams, please. <laughs> because I I, re- I have that on my notes on things to ask, and at some point I knew it was going to come up. But let's please. Nice yeah. Let me talk about time, and then we'll go from time to purpose because mm-hmm. the two. Are- what I my whole as a curious human being in the middle of this bizarre thing we call being alive. I want to understand my experience. My experience is this flow of change. And I'm presuming it's the same for you. Mm -hmm. So there's a flow of change, which you could call time. One thing follows another. But what I noticed about this flow of change is that every new thing, well, first of all, every moment's new. That's one thing. It's pretty amazing. And why every moment is new, even ones that are similar, is because every moment is built on and contains the moment before it. Always. Mm-hmm. And if you keep going back, that means that every moment that's ever happened is implicit in this moment. So they've all built on each other. So, so, and, and that is kind of obvious, isn't it? Look, you know, me getting born is in this moment, you getting born, us learning to speak English, the... The, 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 the evolution of the human species, the Big Bang, everything. So time, the past hasn't gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a view that's kind of similar to the idea of what's called the expanding block universe in physics. That actually time is, is accumulating, it's expanding all the time. Mm-hmm. It also means that the universe is made of time or made of the past. It's made of the information which it's already gone through because it's a process it's not a thing there are no things Mm -hmm. everything is a process in time and that also means that you and i are processes we're not things Mm. and we are made of the past so what's our identity well i think our deep our real identity is you are everything you've ever been and everything you've ever experienced and so am i and we're meeting everything that's ever happened to boomer and everything that's ever happened to tim are like there we are meeting and this is and now we're inside each other because mm-hmm. we've connected so we're now entangled and and our pasts will always this will always be part of us mm-hmm. so that in itself i think is just a, that i just does weird things to my uh, it's my incredible mind. it's doing weird and i'm just like my finance brain goes hey this has relationship to the efficient market hypothesis and there's a whole lot of stuff going on just in that <laughs> 
So people, if you need to pause this for a moment, digest yeah, it, yeah. go for it. But sorry, I cut you off there. No, no, not at all. Because I feel I felt it as I was speaking, and and I'd love to know. I'd really like to know. I don't know whether you want to say anything or whether go into the purpose, but I'd like to know what you meant by the, the efficient by market the- hypothesis. Uh, so that I, I was just thinking of it. And again, this is off the top of my head. So anybody who's listening, who is a Eugene Fama fan, please don't bash me in the skull. <laughs> but uh, the efficient market hypothesis just states that stock prices are baking in all of the information that's known. And therefore, the only way really to invest is by buying index funds, essentially. Um, and But it, essentially, where I was kind of making the connection was that the past is baked into the moment and right. everything that is known is baked into the moment, which is how I was making the connection to the current time stream. Does that make sense? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we take that, that, that approach purpose. What strikes me is we have this 14 billion years of the evolution. You know, the reason just to tie a thread back maybe that we didn't quite tie mm-hmm. up at the beginning of the conversation, science, the, 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 why science will change, in my view, and why all of this will come together, is because 100 years ago, we developed evolutionary theory for the whole universe with Big Bang Theory. And it's worked really well, really well. Which means we live in an emergent universe, which means that new things have constantly emerged based on the past. There's been novelty, and sometimes huge novelty, and that's what's got us from hydrogen and helium to you and me thinking these thoughts. And which means you c- this cannot be a reductionist universe. Mm-hmm. Cannot be. Because otherwise, if you just took all the chemicals in my body and put them on a chair, it would be the same as having me there. And it's not. There is something more being added in this emergent process. So reductionism is just wrong. And it's wrong according to science, not just according to spiritual philosophers like me. So that will go eventually. It will take time for it to filter through, but it will go. So here we are in this emergent universe where it's creative in a sense. It's bringing new things into existence all the time. What are we? We are that process. So what's the purpose of it? Well, you could say it feels to me that there's not so much that the universe has a purpose. It's just that its purpose is what it is, meaning it is the evolution of ever more emergent possibilities it's the realization constantly of more emergent possibilities so based on what's happened before now this based on what, now this so if that's the case then then we are the we are the universe at which we've arrived at this level where we're experiencing soul or psyche whatever we're mm-hmm. like we're soul streams this flow is happening for us of the imaginal level so our purpose it seems to me is to do that ourselves to to realize our potentialities in ever more emergent ways. And the thing which marks us out as different to hydrogen atoms or anything in between is that we can do that consciously. We have consciousness has evolved. Mm-hmm. We now choose how we do that. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, the little twist, which is worth adding as well, is that once you see, oh, I'm made of everything I've been, then you see I'm forming myself in every moment. Mm-hmm. And the choices I make of what I do, how I think, what I value, these will form what I am. Mm-hmm. So what's the purpose? To, to form yourself. To, 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 it's a soul formation, if you mm-hmm. want. You're 
are, who, what you are in every moment. And you can engage with that consciously. And in that process, realize your unique potentials and contribute to this evolving universe. And each one of us can do that in a completely different way because each one of us is literally kind of the center of the universe. I mean, literally from Big Bang Theory, the whole center is everywhere. But, you know, the, but each one of us is the universe looking at itself, mm-hmm. sensing itself, becoming conscious of itself. And each one of us has a unique combination of qualities. So any quality I think I've got, I can find someone who's better than, um, than me and worse than me, probably. You know, there's just, you know, endless. Mm-hmm. But this unique set of qualities, this really is me. And that gives my unique perspective. And I see that with everyone. So that, you know, I'm with people at my retreats, for instance, and they're kind of high level people doing all these amazing things. And I meet people like, you know, who's a lady in her 80s who, who, who just, just brings this presence to her surroundings and her loved one. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, perfect. They're the same in a sense. They're both finding the most emergent way that they can, can be in the universe. And, and in so doing, they're taking the universe forward. So there was a point there where I was at early on where I was basically thinking like, are we fated? But the difference between being fated and what you're stating is if our purpose is to, to consistently emerge or actualize, just to use a different word, the, the word that, or the control that makes us different and therefore not fated is the consciousness and the ability to control how we do this. Is that right? Exactly. So, yeah. So, so you can see this creativity, if you want to give it that word. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually the word was coined, I, I believe, by A.N. Whitehead, specifically to describe a quality of the universe, mm-hmm. the, the process philosopher. So the, there is constant novelty in the evolutionary process. Now, there's probably good reason to think that the first 10 billion years, that creativity is mainly random producing things, but going in a direction, um, but in a random way. Then when you reach life, you start getting agendas, stay alive, have something to eat. Do my, do my bookkeeping. <laughs> and then eventually all of that. And just allow that to happen. Um, so, that, so that at that point, you're developing consciousness, there's a feedback loop whereby you can actually start choosing so that so that our quality of choice is the creativity of the universe at this level of emergence Mm -hmm. is why it's so important which is why you know if you take that's you know took my if you took my ability to choose away you take me away Mm -hmm. it's like that's what that's that's my power in the universe ultimately is through choice and i don't think it's an illusion i don't think it can be reduced to neurons firing or chemicals i think it's a an emergent property of existence and it's an emerging problem. It hasn't arisen from nowhere. It's always been in the universe. It's just that the thing that creates the random creativity has turned into my conscious creativity mm-hmm. in this emergent process that's taken us from physics to psyche. And so in, the, in this emergent process, and sorry, I think I just cut you off there. Uh, in this emergent process, people who are not free, so to speak, uh, and there are people in this world who, have, for whatever circumstance or another, are not. They would be almost a, a step behind in this process of evolution. Do I have that right? In what way do you mean not free? Uh, not free to make their own choice. Not, 
I'm thinking the word that comes to mind is slavery, uh, but I, I'm more thinking like people that exist in countries where there's no freedom of choice. Okay, so so external constraints. Yeah, exactly. Because there's there's two. I sorts guess of the, the internal. Yeah. Okay. There's internal constraint, which is where you are unconscious mm-hmm. of the choices you're making, um, and we're all in that. And part of the challenge of evolving, I think, as a as a soul, as a psyche is to make myself conscious of that. And, and I've been lucky enough to have the chance to do that all my life and I'm much freer than I was and that's why I doubt things, I can move on from things, whole new worlds open up whenever I do that, I recommend it to everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and you question, you, you're developing yourself by reflection on yourself. Then there's external constraint, which is a whole other thing. And what's interesting is the, 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 the people who have been able to develop such internal freedom in the face of external restraint. Yeah. And, and human beings can do that because they're amazing things. And, and for the rest of us that have less external constraint, um, you know, we need to create a world where we can get rid of that. And, and, and I love the fact that our history shows that we're willing to do that and that, and that we, we have been steadily doing that, which is why the world we live in now is so much better than the world has been in history. I mean, unbelievably better. And, and everything's like that. We need to keep... So you mentioned, go back to something you said earlier, which we dropped, which is, you know, you, get, you live in a capitalist society, like, like we both do, and that's about competition, and it's like, well, that's the paralogical insight, just right there. It's like, well, competition's a good thing, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's actually good. We, economically, it's good. Sport, it's good. You know, just personally, it can be good. It's like a little bit of competition, good. But competition on its own is ugly and divisive. But competition in a context in which you see, well, the sport is a really great analogy. Mm-hmm. If I go and watch a football soccer match. Who's your team? Sorry, complete deviation. <laughs> Man United. How could, you resist, how could you resist a team called Man United? <laughs> uh, the, the, not, not very popular at the moment because they're not doing very well. But if you, if, you, if, you, if you go and see two teams play, you've got foot, especially you know, full-on competition within this immense cooperation. So there's a context within which everyone is cooperating actually to produce this marvellous human spectacle and agreeing on what is and isn't okay and finding how to, you know, and yet within that, we can have this kind of, right, okay, you make me better and I'll make you better by competing. So that's the paralogical insight, I think. And that's why for me, this probably, you know, in spirituality, you get a lot of, it should just be love, we should just be all one. And that's not true. We're also individual. We have to live, you know, it's still my family I have to look after primarily. And, they, you know, that's because we have to work with this paradox of being not just all one, also individual. So if you just get individual, it's just individualism. And let me say this as well. Individualism is a great thing. Mm-hmm. I love you know, we've been through, in my lifetime, the most intense period of individual, individualism. You know, you can think what you like, you can wear what you like. It's like, hurrah! You can be a sexuality, you can be what you like. It's like, brilliant. Because that's freeing us from the unconscious herd. We don't have to be just part of the unconscious herd. You can be you. What that now needs to be balanced by is the individuating. Not instead, like an either-or thing, but as well. Mm-hmm. And then you go... I'm individual enough. I can, I'm Tim. I'm not anyone else. I really am Tim. 
in this unique situation and I'm everything. And that's the, the mystical jump, which if it's said in the wrong way, sounds like woo-woo, but it really isn't. It's actually obvious. And, you, and when you get it experientially, there's this profound sense of connection. And one of the words you can use to describe that is love or compassion. And so although you're still an individual by necessity, and so you should be, you're in a different relationship. You're in a relationship of care with the other. How do you sustain this idea of individualism? Because I've experienced it both in normal course of life, but also with the use of psychedelics. Uh, and look, it feels freaking amazing, right? And then all of a sudden you get an email and boom, you're back in the tunnel. How, how does one sustain? Is it possible? Other than moving on to like a, an island somewhere or something like that. So I think the honest answer is no, it's not possible. Okay. I'm going to just jump in and say yes. this. <laughs> That, by, by which I mean the idea that you could be constantly in that because I don't know about you but when that really hits and the big love is there and it's like the idea of sitting down with my accountant and talking about my my money it's like money accountant like it's like none of that's going to doesn't happen. yeah and, and, and your state of consciousness is so different it, it lacks the sharpness um you know there's a it's just a different state so my the phrase which comes to, came to me a while back was to stop, personally, I mean, like most people I, in my area, I've talked about being more conscious. <laughs> but recently I've gone, you know what? That's the wrong phrase. It's not about being more conscious. It's about being conscious of more. By which I mean that I have access to that state. So a bit like what I said about my daughter, she can do this, I can do this. You know, I, can, I have access to that state. So I can sit down, I can take a, a while and meditate, which just means for me just sitting quietly and opening up and I can go, Oh, great. And then I can come back and go, right, write this book mm-hmm. or I've got to deal with this problem or that person has ripped me off or, you know, whatever it is I have to deal with. And the way that I can find that other state is the same way I learned to do everything. I just need to do it more often. So I can drive a car because I've just done it enough mm-hmm. times and now I don't have to think about it. Same with the, with the waking up to these deeper states. That's why the psychedelics are a great way in to know they exist, but ultimately they don't necessarily help you reconnect with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you need other ways to do that. And then if you do it enough, why? Because we're made of the past. So we're habits. The whole universe is a habit or an algorithm. That's what it is. And I'm a habit. The whole universe is a habit. And so I need to set up the habit that I can go to a deep awake state. And when I do, then I can So do. the more often you do it, the more the running average becomes in the deep awake state. And as a result, you can, it's almost like a relaxed control of it in that you can access it when you want and then go back and do what you need to do. Come back. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. And, and also, you know, not to be surprised, also when the negative stuff comes around, because you're made of the past. Mm-hmm. So I now know that the things in tin, which are a little bit jangly or angular or causing problems, will keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Because they're in me. And just like the winter will keep coming back. You know, it's like things go in cycles. I go in cycles. But how I respond to it 
how whether it overtakes me or not, how I can move on from it, that's that's evolved massively. Massively. Yeah, that would be, I mean, that goes into a whole realm of like habit change. Because if you recognize that your past often repeats itself, then you should be able to quite easily recognize when things come on. And then for you, how does, can you just shift so that doesn't happen? Let's say you have certain negative behavior traits that have repeated themselves throughout time and you can see it through your time stream. Shouldn't you at certain state be able to pull yourself away from that negative behavior, shift it and therefore change the running average of the time stream? Yes, and I love this running average phrase you've got in Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. coming from finance, it's just like... <laughs> I love that. That's exact. Yeah, I think that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, I think that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and there's two things which do it. One is the intensity of the new experience and the frequency. Mm-hmm. Some equation I'm sure you could draw there about intensity and frequency to shift it. So it's still in you, but that's now, it's now in your past. You've moved on and, and you don't, that doesn't come up and and I mean I don't think it's easy to do that. I think it takes attention and it and it and to begin with you usually in my experience of evolving over these last sixty years, I I'd say that that's that to begin with I see it after it's taken over and then I recognize it and can move it. And then as I develop that facility, then I can spot it as it's happening. Mm. And and you notice, I just noticed, you know, I'm, I'm, as an old guy, I'm much less defensive than when I was a young guy. Because, you know, now if my wife says, you're being like this, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. Thank you. I'll stop. I, I try <laughs> and, to do that, too. Sometimes I don't catch myself in time. <laughs> and, then, yeah, and, I'm, I, and I'm amazed that, the, 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 that watching the next generation come up, they just seem like stuff that we struggled with is much, you know, your, your generation are dealing with so much better. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, we'll see how we we'll see what happens as uh, as the, well, I was going to say as time evolves, but that that phrase has probably taken over a whole new meeting over the course <laughs> of this conversation. Uh, Tim, before I transition, because I, I know I've taken a lot of your time, and I want to be cognizant of that. Before I transition, just into the final six rapid fire questions, if someone were to want to dive in further with your books, where do you recommend they start? Because, you know, I know your thinking evolves over time. I came in through Lucid Living, which I definitely see parallels from that book in our conversation today. But where should they start? Well, Lucid Living is a little short book and it's great. It's very deep. And it's my statement, really, of how to understand the perennial teachings of spirituality in a in a very direct way mm-hmm. so that's very good for that then the book after that deep awake is a development from that about how we can um understand that more fully how you can experience the deep awake state and this paralogical approach to things so that's a kind of expansion of that which is probably a good place to start with the experiential stuff and then soul story um, is my latest book on the philosophy. So if it's, if it's the understanding part, the evolutionary part, how we can understand perennial spiritual ideas like soul and indeed the immortality of the soul. 
you know, which I think is key to bringing meaning to life, which is a whole other subject. But those sort of questions alongside science in a way, I hope, which is really a kind of roller coaster of ideas and isn't, doesn't bog you down, um, then Soul Story. And like you said, the last two, in fact, all three, I think, are available on audiobooks. Certainly the last two um, are. I've just done them. So they are. And then the other thing is to, to engage with me directly mm -hmm. because more and more I'm doing stuff online. I have this small little community called the International Community of Individuals, um, which shortens to the ICU, which I really like because we expect <laughs> Um, and we are, I'm just launching with that. I'm launching uh, a, 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 a weekly meetup on a Sunday where we meet up people all over the world. And we'll, one week we'll do experiential stuff around Deep Awake. And another time we'll get together and talk philosophy. And people come in when they, the ones they want to. And, um, and that's a great way to, to, explore this, to explore this deeper directly. with It's all virtual, all right? Or that's, yeah. Yeah, that is. And, and I do do events. I mean, I've got a retreat coming up in Japan. Uh, I've got a retreat coming up in, in a stately home in the UK. Wow. Oh, my God. We did this last year. I mean, it really is. It's a proper, you know, you stay in four-poster beds. So it's just crazy. The, 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 the billiard table's bigger than my kitchen. It's, you know, amazing. And huge grounds and a huge spa. And we get to hang out there for four days and just go right into this experience. And what, 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 what happens with that, Boomer? You know, through, through really just opening up to this, it is so possible for people to have this deep awake state in a way that it's not like you don't miss it when you experience it. It's, it's you know, you've said it yourself. It's wow. Yeah. It's just, and, and we, can, we can do that. We can give people that wow. We don't need psychedelics. And, and people have the wow. And, and it's just wonderful to see. Uh, so that's that's what that part of the work is incredible i'm going to come back to the where can people find out more about you question in a second but let's just i'm going to rattle off some questions just rapid fire here and, and i'm very curious because uh, with the first one what book has significantly impacted your life if you can name one and how you show up to perform in it well <laughs> yeah i can see the book uh, for those who aren't watching this on video the bookcases are pretty impressive <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna you know arbitrarily just choose the last one okay because that's and because it doesn't also it doesn't link to spirituality um it just links to everything and a book which my daughter gave me last year um it was factfulness by hans rosling okay um, and the reason I love it is because it just, we have such a negative view of human beings and how human culture has evolved. And it's ironic because we live in the best times ever. Mm -hmm. That's not that we don't have huge challenges, but we do live in the best times ever by a long, long way. And we've been doing really, really well. And I feel we need that encouragement so we can go, hey, we've done really well. Let's face the new challenges. So he did that for me. And he's very clear. I love his clarity. Good. Thankfulness. Favorite piece of technology which you've purchased in the past year? Uh, does this count? I bought, just before Christmas, I bought a Niels Fram uh, piano sample thing to go with my Logic Pro. I used to be a musician, and just recently I thought, I must make some music again. And so I bought myself this lovely piano sample, wow. which just sounds so beautiful. So I'd say that's my by far my favorite. What type of what thing. type of music do you like? This is a side. Sorry. 
<laughs> I oh, God, I love all music. I use a lot of music in yeah. my events. It's magic stuff. Lots and lots. Uh, all sorts. And I've written all sorts when I was younger, but uh, not so much now. Favorite holiday or vacation destination? Oh, I'm going for um, everything that I've just done because that's, that, that's, that's an easy one. <laughs> um, uh, which I just loved. I went and my wife unexpectedly uh, took me to Venice where I've always wanted to go um, in, for our wedding, 20th wedding anniversary in September. And God, what a magic place. Just like beauty of it. Top trick for uh, enhancing your focus or productivity? Walk. How do yeah. you unwind? I play on the PlayStation. Oh, really? <laughs> what kind of this may give me an excuse to go buy a PlayStation? Uh, what's what's the game of choice? The game of choice is FIFA. <laughs> um, so soccer on the PlayStation, and that's something I started doing with my boy when he was very very small mm-hmm. and grown up and left home. And then at a certain point, maybe a year or two ago, I thought. I could just do this myself, couldn't I? <laughs> and, and now I'm a big, I'm a big, I keep telling my old friends they should definitely play PlayStation because old people don't. And I think we should because, you know, if I live a long time and I'm stuck somewhere and I can't get a bag, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm getting to, you know, it's like I got to know it. So, so I do that and, I, and I, I love it. Where can people find out more about you? Timfreak.com. Um, and because my name is Odd, as long as you spell it F-R-E-K-E, um, you'll find me if you Google me. So timfreak.com, there's loads of free stuff on there, um, videos, information. You can contact me directly. There's information about the ICU, the, the community, mm-hmm. the online meetups. And YouTube, there's loads of you know a channel on there and Facebook and, and all this. And guys, you got to check out Soul Story, uh, Deep Awake, as well as Lucid Living. Great books. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been an absolute mind-blowing conversation, that's for sure. I've loved it too. Thank you for inviting me on. To all the superhumans listening out there, have an absolutely epic day. All right, superhumans. Does anybody just love that discussion? I had a lot of fun, as you guys can probably tell. But the idea of being an eclectic really resonated with me. If you got anything out of this episode, or if you just want to share what you got out of this episode, head on over to the social medias. You can head over to Instagram if you're comfortable putting on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, and tag me at Decoding Superhuman on either one of those platforms. And let me know what you think. What did you get out of this episode? I look forward to hearing from you guys. And remember, you can check out the show notes at decodingsuperhuman.com slash freak. That's F-R-E-K-E. And if you want to leave a rating on iTunes, head over to iTunes and just leave us a five-star rating with a comment. We'll read yours soon. Thank you all and have an absolutely epic.